0: So we've been uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings, and we're going to take a couple weeks' break in the Sermon on the Mount uh, for a couple of reasons. One is the next two weeks I'm going to be gone, and so I won't be here talking about it. Um, But then the other reason is uh, today starts VBS, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, I thought um, if I'm going to have this behind me, I should probably do something somewhat related to it. And while you could say that's a mount... uh, we are uh, we're actually going to take it a different direction um, and talk about something that I think uh, will tie into some of the VBS themes, but also something that can be helpful for us to remember and take with us throughout our lives. I am so excited about VBS starting. Uh, I, you know, as you read through the Gospels, I love the moments where Jesus stops the, uh, the intensity of his ministry, uh, you know, and going from place to place and all of the healings and all of the teachings to spend a few moments with the children. And that's actually a shocking thing that he does. His disciples are unprepared for it. They think, Hey, we have more busy things to do for him to sit here and hold kids. You know, keep your kids away from them. And Jesus rebukes them. By the way, anytime you're trying to keep someone, no matter what age they are, from coming to Jesus, it's probably a bad idea. Uh, But Jesus rebukes them for that and says, permit the children to come to me. It's them that the kingdom of heaven is for. When we do things like this, we are refocusing on what matters most. We're refocusing on some of the core foundational kingdom principles, and it's awesome. And so I I am prayerful uh, that VBS goes really well this week, and I hope you all will be as well. Um, But... In VBS, we're talking about Mystery Island. Um, And we're going to be talking about some of the hidden gems that are found revealed by God himself. The God of truth reveals uh, truth. And sometimes you have to search for it. Sometimes you have to dig for it. And that's what Mystery Island is all about. Digging the word of God to find out the important truths uh, of God. In late summer, 79 AD, there was a busy city. As all the hustle and bustle of the city was going on, people were living their lives, people were planning for the future, people were uh, enjoying uh, various pleasures, people were spending time with their family, something happened. A loud noise, a rumble, something frightening, and then all of a sudden, in a flash, in an instant, an entire city was eviscerated. An entire city was wiped out, covered in ash, everyone in it died It was the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, destroying the city of Pompeii. There are still movies that are made about it. There are still stories told about it. It was a catastrophic event that changed countless lives. But not only did it change lives, it changed landscapes. One of the things that's fascinating about Pompeii is that when Vesuvius erupted, it so dramatically changed the landscape that the city laid under ruins and under the ground for about 1,500 years before they even found where it was. The landscape had so changed that it wasn't even in the same location anymore. The the land had moved further inland, and all of a sudden, people couldn't find this ancient city. And it wasn't until the late 1500s when it was discovered. And it's only been partially excavated. There's still a lot more uh, to excavate, but as they did it, they found innumerable historical uh, and architectural and, and beauty treasures underneath. I mean, if you're ever able to uh, to see pictures of it or to be there and to walk through it, you'll see frescas that have been there painted for 2,000 years that are still on the walls. You'll see what the city streets look like. You'll see what the towns and the taverns and the bathhouses look like. Because it's called a city frozen in time because that moment in that day, it was covered in ash and it just stayed for like 1,500 years. You get to travel back in time to see what a city looked like that's been untouched for 1,500 years. You get to see what a city looks like 2,000 years ago as you walk through. It's an incredible experience. And for those who like history, for those who enjoy art, for those who enjoy being able to see ancient Roman life, it's a genuine treasure. But what's fascinating about it is for 1,500 years, you could have seen that stretch of land and had no idea what treasures lied underneath. You could have seen that patch of land and had no idea that there was a city buried underneath it. In fact, people did. People would see that and they did not know what was there. It was beautiful, it was incredible, it was interesting, it had all kinds of helpful information. I mean, it was an incredible archeological discovery, but no one knew. It was just there. That can happen sometimes. There are things that you can walk right past and have no idea the incredible value or the treasure that is hidden therein. You can go to an island, and you can see maybe some of the mountains. You can see a volcano, you can see a waterfall, and you could have no idea that hidden in that, treasure, uh, in that mountain is a buried pirate's treasure or something like that. You can see things that on the surface, they look one way, and it might even be interesting, but you walk right past it without investigating and without seeing the depth of the treasure that's actually there. I think that happens. I think it happens not only with Vesuvius, it happens not only with buried treasure, but I think it happens even with the kingdom of God itself. In fact, that's one of the things that Jesus is constantly trying to remind people of, that the kingdom of God is something that... You know, people had expectations of what it was going to look like, and it would have been impossible to miss with those expectations. They expected it to be a military revolt, they expected it to be an uprising where Rome was overthrown and Israel reigned supreme again. And if that had happened, Yeah, everyone would have noticed. That would have changed the entire ancient landscape of the world. That would have changed the way we talk about history. That would have changed everything. Instead, we talk about AD 70, Rome destroying the city of Jerusalem. We talk about the Bar Kokhba rebellion in the AD 130s that led uh, to, again, uh, destruction of Jerusalem and of Israel. Like There are uprisings that happened, but they were always put down by the Romans. And and people who had been longing for the kingdom of God saw saw those as as failures. They saw those as instances where there was a possibility for the kingdom, and then it fell flat. Jesus, however, comes preaching a very different kingdom. He comes preaching a nonviolent kingdom, a kingdom where you don't gain authority or you don't gain power by killing your enemies, but rather, shockingly, by loving your enemies. And I'll tell you this, if you're looking at a people that are oppressed and they rise up and they slaughter all of their enemies, that makes the headlines. If you looked at a people that are oppressed and they end up developing a selfless love for their enemies, there might be things that would pop up here and there that could make headlines and that. But for the most part, that's a lot less noticeable. Winning a battle, winning a war is something that changes the way history is told. Someone who selflessly loves another can often be ignored. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out the groundwork of his kingdom. And he talks about being the type of people who, uh, instead of responding with violence and insult, they rid themselves of anger. That's a powerful thing to do. That's an important thing to do. But... I mean, there aren't a lot of history books written about the guy 2,000 years ago who wasn't angry. Uh, There are things that you can do, and they are powerful kingdom moments. But you might not always see them. They might not be what you expect. In fact, one of the tragedies of the kingdom is that sometimes it can be underwhelming. What I mean is you could be expecting more, and then it's right in front of you. And it's actually less than you thought it would be. And I don't think it's less in value. But it's less in the sense that it's not what you were expecting. And so you think, huh. And you just move right along throughout your day. I think Jesus is well aware of this. Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom will always, you know, knock you off your feet. And be the most fantastic, incredible, obvious thing in the world. Sometimes the most powerful kingdom moment could be something small like forgiveness taking place. Sometimes the most powerful kingdom moment can be something uh, relatively obscure, like someone sharing with another person who's in need. Sometimes a powerful kingdom moment can be a man being crucified as the crowds walk past, and they have no idea the significance of that moment. They shake their head. They assume he's a criminal. They assume he's just like everyone else who's, who's crucified. And they assume it's a sign of failure because it's always a sign of failure. And they walk right past not having any idea that the world is changing forever in that moment. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a number of these hidden treasures in the form of parables. And he actually uses the word mystery to describe what these parables are. They are the revelation of certain mysteries. To his disciples, he reveals some of these mysteries. To others, he gives parables for them to grapple with and try to discover and figure out. And some people will dig, and they'll be able to see the beautiful kingdom truths that are there. Whereas some people, they'll hear the story and they'll think, why is he talking about mustard seeds? And they'll move on without their life looking for someone who will actually preach the kingdom. But what Jesus is doing is he's giving the kingdom and he's preparing people for the fact that the kingdom sometimes has to be searched for. Sometimes the beautiful hidden treasure of the kingdom is not something that is painfully obvious to everyone, but that doesn't mean it's not valuable. In fact, it could be the very most valuable thing on this earth, but it's easy to miss. He uses a couple of parables throughout Matthew chapter 13. He uses a parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's a fascinating parable. And it's a helpful one for us to keep in our mind sometimes. When we feel underwhelmed by the kingdom, remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. Because what the parable talks about is a landowner who has seed sown in this field. And good seed is sown. And wheat is going to grow. But there's also an enemy afoot. There's also an enemy who comes and he sows weed and tares in there. And one of the difficult things about tares is in their in their early stage they look just like the wheat. But then as they grow, you begin to see the differences emerge. And so as the wheat starts to uh, to be ready for harvest, they notice that there are terrible. It's a terrible looking field. I mean, it looks like a field full of weeds. It's it's almost like uh, you know if you do landscaping and you have a really you know beautiful landscape, you have nice flowers and all that stuff but you don't take care of the weeds. And all of a sudden, even if you have a nice landscape, it doesn't look that good because there's weeds growing all the way up through it. And you can't even see the beauty because of the weeds that are there. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom is like. You think, well, that, it's a messy field. That's what the kingdom is like. Yeah, actually, sometimes that's it. And if you look closely, you'll see these moments where you'll see something productive and useful and beautiful that's blooming. I think VBS is one of those things. I think some of the trips that we're doing to Albania. I think some of the, ta- uh, the, the classes that we have when our children are being taught and when people are discussing truths from God and people are growing in their love for him. When you have baptisms, uh, when you have these moments where people's lives are being changed for Jesus, you have the beautiful produce of the kingdom. But you can also turn on the news and... Sometimes it's hard to look at the world around us and to say, yeah, Jesus is really king right now. Because it sure looks like people don't care about what he says. It sure looks like people would rather kill their enemies than love them. In fact, crime is rampant, and you can see sexual immorality is rampant, and you can see that people are objectified and used and harmed. And all of these things are taking place, each of which are contrary to what Jesus said. And then you have someone coming along saying, no, Jesus is actually king. And you say, really? I mean, when I look at the world, it looks like a mess. And it is a mess. And that's why the parable of the wheat and the tares is so important. Because, yeah, that field kind of looks like a mess. But there was something valuable and beautiful in that field also. And they grew up together. And there was a day coming when the wheat and the tares would be separated. And so we wait patiently for that day. We continue to produce for the kingdom. We don't attack and try to destroy the tares now. We allow for this world to look the way that it does, trusting in Jesus to make things right. But it's kind of like walking past a field and thinking, oh, wow, that farmer hasn't done a very good job. You walk past uh, uh, an island, and you don't realize that there's hidden treasure there, and you just continue on throughout your day. All of these things, I guess you don't walk past an island, sail past an island, Uh, but, uh, but each of these things are ways in which valuable treasure can be hidden, or it can be less than you expect it to be, or different than you expect it to be. Jesus begins another one of the parables in Matthew 13 by saying in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed. Now, again, I think that would be a shocking statement about the kingdom, because if Jesus would have said the kingdom of heaven is like A powerful, anointed military figure like David, who rises up and he destroys his enemies and he establishes God's peace and presence among the people. Then everyone would say, oh yeah, that is what the kingdom of of heaven is like. That's what I'm waiting for. But instead, Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. You think, how is it like a mustard seed? A mustard seed is not a huge seed. It's almost like it would be if you were looking throughout a room and uh, someone had set a mustard seed on the table, you probably wouldn't even see it. Uh, you would just look throughout the room and you wouldn't even notice it because it's so small it looks insignificant. He doesn't even say the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard tree. Uh, a mustard tree is actually substantially more impressive than that. It becomes the largest of all the, the trees that are in the garden. But what he says is it's like a mustard seed that is planted and then eventually becomes that tree. What does that mean? It means there might be times when it looks small, when it looks insignificant, where it's easy to miss. But that doesn't mean that it's not producing something powerful, and it doesn't mean that it's not ultimately going to take shape and take notice. But you can go right past it. It would be like a treasure hidden that you can't even see. It would be like a little bit of leaven that's put into, uh, into bread. And then it doesn't look like a lot, but eventually it causes growth. If you just look at the growth at the final product, then yeah, it looks like something impressive. But there are moments and there are stages where it's hard to see. It looks like a field full of wheat and tares. It looks like the smallest seed that there could be. It looks like a man being crucified while others are laughing and enjoying life. And you think, I'm supposed to think that he's the winner? He doesn't look like it. That, the kingdom of heaven is surprising like that. In fact, it's in this series of parables that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I think you get the impression that when he sells all that he has to buy the field, if people don't know about the treasure, looks like he might be getting ripped off. It looks like he might be buying a field that is not nearly as valuable as everything that he just paid for it. Because people see A barren, empty field. And they don't see the valuable, intense treasure that's hidden underneath. But he knows about it. And so even at the risk of looking foolish, he sells everything that might get in the way. And he gets that field no matter how much it costs, no matter how much uh, it takes him, because he recognizes that there's something valuable there. If you look at verse 45 and 46, you have a very similar parable that says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great price, he sold all that he had and he bought it. Why? Because that's what became more important to him than anything else that he owned in this life. The kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is like a field that you see the value in that others might not. And you'll give everything for, but others might not see it. It'll be like a field that you know is full of good, valuable wheat But others just see a mess. It'll be like a seed that you know can produce incredible things. But others just see the smallest seed that there is. Because as Jesus gives these parables, he begins them in uh, chapter 13 by saying something about eyes and ears. And it's important. Some people have eyes and all they see is a barren patch of land. Whereas others see the treasure underneath. Some people see the land that is covered in ash. Others see the lost city of Pompeii. Some see an island. Some see a treasure hunt. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this to the disciples. After talking about these parables and the mysteries that they will reveal, he says, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Jesus is revealing something that even your righteous people and your prophets in years past had longed to hear. And it's really an incredible idea. Jesus is, I mean... These prophets of old had longed to see the beauty and the power of the kingdom of heaven, and they hadn't been able to. And yet Jesus chooses this ragtag group of 12 to be those to whom he delivers and reveals these mysteries. And yet he's also speaking in parables so that others can hear also. But this message of divine truth, of transformative power, of salvation, and of eternal life Some people hear it. And even though wise men and prophets have longed for years to be able to, they hear it, they see it, and they walk right past, not seeing the treasure there. Let's make sure that we cultivate eyes that see and ears that hear. Is it possible to be underwhelmed by the church? I think so. I think sometimes people are. But I think sometimes that happens when they're looking in the wrong areas or they're not factoring in what the church is actually doing. One of the things that, uh, we talking about mystery, that Paul talks about as the mystery of the gospel is that Jew and Gentile alike become one family under the, the headship of God into this, into this covenant people. And that's the type of thing that's like, okay, Jew and Gentile is getting along. We think of that as, as an age-old thing. But what that means is that we live in a world that is full of division for like every possible reason you could think of, whether it's what nation you're from, whether it's what language you speak, whether it's what nationality you are, or or whether it is, uh, uh, your race, whether it's how much money you have, you know, like there's all sorts of things that create these different, uh, hierarchies that create classes that create all these. And what Paul is saying, is that the gospel has this radically transformative message that people from every walk of life become equals and become one in the kingdom of heaven. That's a powerful truth. That's something that transforms the world. That's one of the reasons why we have people in Albania right now uh, who are working and teaching the gospel there because we become family with people throughout the world, and we don't have the divisions and the barriers and the borders that so often separate people in the kingdom of heaven. We become a different kind of kingdom, a true kingdom that is not limited by geography, that is not limited by nationality, and is not limited by language, but it is something that is for all people. That's a treasure that I think the world needs, that the world could benefit from. I think salvation and eternal life and hope in times of despair and confidence over death, that's a message that the world needs and that the world could benefit from. The idea of loving our enemies is something that the world desperately needs. I promise, the world has tried over and over and over again the other path towards dealing with enemies. We've tried hatred. We've tried violence. We've tried war. We've tried death. In fact, it happens over and over. It's a vicious cycle that never seems to end. What if the world for once would try to extend love towards your enemies? You know what? Lives would be saved and the glory of Jesus would shine through. It would be like that wheat popping out among the tares. And I have confidence that one day that will be what God has in store. When the the son of God returns and the angels with him and and the wheat and the tares are separated, there will be a day when the goodness of Jesus reigns supreme. And that's a day I long for. That's a treasure that we can see bits and pieces now, but is ultimately going to be the treasure that we all bask in in that day to come. And that's a day to hope for. that's a day to live for now. And so as we think about... The parables, as we think about uh, the hidden treasure, as we think about the kingdom of God, remember that there's more value than meets the eye. And what we need to try to do is cultivate eyes that see. Look for the good in the world around you. Look for the good in the church. Look for the impact that Jesus has made in your life and that you see being made in the lives of others that's going to be made in the lives of these children this week. Thank Jesus for that and work towards that. You know, it's one thing to uh, sit back passively and to judge the kingdom with folded arms and think, I wanted it to be better than that. It's one thing to sit back and to look at the church and think people should be doing more. But it's another thing to actually join in the work of transforming this world through the message of Jesus. There's treasure there and value there. Join in on it. And if there's anyone here this morning who would like to become a Christian, would like to join in to the reign of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, we pray that you would let that be known. You can talk to some of our elders in the back, or you can come up forward. You can name Jesus as Lord of your life and have your sins washed away in baptism, becoming a new creation and a new creature living for him. If we can help you do that, please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.